So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another episode of Sower in the States. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy. We are joined by the world's best co-host. How are you today, Najee? Doing good, mate. Up uh, bright and early. Off to a little another so rare meetup down in Los Angeles. This time a baseball one, so more in your neck of the woods, but should be fun. I think we're going to catch the home run derby tomorrow and the uh, the ML- MLB sorry All-Star game on Tuesday. So it should be good, good fun. Be my first ever baseball uh, experience. Yeah, talk about a baseball experience, getting to do the whole shebang with uh, the home run derby and the all-star game. That's not a normal first baseball experience. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, straight in the deep end. That's how we like yeah. it. So, yeah, exactly. No, it should be a lot of fun. And obviously, baseball will be kicking off on Tuesday as well. The The market for baseball players will be live and ready to go. So definitely check out all of the Sower in the States baseball podcasts that we're going to be producing. We have some really cool ideas coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and, and get straight into things here on the soccer side of things. So it's been rivalry week, right? For It seems like for the last month and a half, it's been rivalry week. So um, we have a few games that we've watched uh, specifically, and then we're just going to play like a little good week, bad week, maybe to start things off here. So um, let's get let's get your bad team. First of all, Nashi, who do you think had a really bad rivalry week? There was a couple of candidates uh, in the hat, but there's one standout for me and it's close to home. And that is the L.A. Galaxy. Um, they've been beaten three times in the space of a week. And in three, I mean, two rival games, LAFC, then San Jose, who we'll talk about in a little bit. And they went away to Colorado and kind of actually watched that game. They they had, again, like we've been saying, they had spells in the game, but I think it's just a mentality thing. Their confidence must be an all-time low. And Colorado really were... The opposite of that, they they weren't panicking when they didn't have the ball and then they were just counter-attacking really effectively and just seemed in complete control. The Galaxy, from going the first few weeks of the season, we were thinking this is a playoff-looking team, the depth they have up front, the danger, the attacking diversity they have, um, and then they got a pretty solid team all around it. You didn't see too many holes in this team. And now I'm starting to get worried from their point of view Um it's not looking good. These runs, these bad runs can spiral. We can see how quickly things change in the MLS, which we will also talk about in a little bit. But um, yeah, as a Galaxy fan, I, I have a lot of friends and people around here that uh, follow the Galaxy and they're not happy. There's, they see across town what's going on with the LAFC and that just stings, right? You see your closest rivals bringing in these new big talents, performing on the pitch, excitement, hype, and you get pumped three times in a week, you know, big signings, not really doing the business. None of their DPs have done anything spectacular this year, made big enough impact for them. So it's kind of the polar opposite in the same city over here in uh, down in LA. So 
yeah, not a good week. They'll be really needing to turn things around soon. Um, yeah. Who's yeah? Go ahead. Well, so I've I've got a, a one or two thoughts on the Galaxy as well because obviously you watch a lot more of their games than I do. But you're talking about from the beginning of the season how we thought this might be a playoff team and things might be different this year. And what we were really what the difference was was their defense was locking people down, and it was one of the top defenses in the league. And now this week you see them go and concede three, three, and two. Uh, in in their games and you're just not going to win very many games when you're conceding that many goals every single night you're talking about you get beat by two of your rivals one of them okay they're the top team in the league so it was a hard-fought game the galaxy at times looked like the better team in that game so you can kind of give them a pass but then you get to san jose which is one of the worst teams in the league on the bottom of the table at that time and uh just so uh just so everyone knows uh we we've been uh, shouted out by uh, sports blog Mike here who wants us to talk about San Jose and we will do that in a little bit later in the show because they are now off the bottom of the table so I promised we would talk about them but um, yeah from the Galaxy's perspective then you go to Colorado which is still a tough place to play but then it's it's not close it's 2-0 it really wasn't wasn't very close obviously Chicharito misses two of these games but that hasn't really been the problem it's really been the defense and and it looks a lot more like the galaxy from last year, which I think you're right. is is quite, is, is pretty worrying from their perspective. Yeah. And how much do you think pressure starts to build on Greg Vaney? Obviously he has a pretty good reputation coming into this. He's respected kind of around the league, but I hear, I see rumbles of sort of dissatisfaction. People thought he should have introduced Jovalich, who has been a bright spark in this sort of dark period for them. Um, obviously, the upper beyond that, the upper management have got to look at their decision making, and it's not looking good. Douglas Costa has been a complete flop. Chicharito, he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been what he has has been. They haven't found the system to really suit him, it seems. And Kevin Cabral, we've talked about, just hasn't done it um, again really this season. You can't put him down as a good DP signing. So. Is it a thing where they're going to have to start looking at things even higher up than what's going on the, on the field? Because I don't know where to go. They have the talent on paper. They have the talent. Yeah, they have some defensive frailties. They have missed Kulabai at, um, at the back. But realistically, on paper, they shouldn't be performing the way they are. So where do you look there? Is it a management thing? Is it a structure of the organization? Because, yeah, there's been poor decisions. They've been slow to react. And it kind of led him down this path. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a, a little bit of patience that they need just because, like we said, Chicharito's been out for these past couple of games. Um, but I, I do think this is a lesson that you can't just go and buy a bunch of attacking players and assume that you'll win every game. You have to be solid in the back. You have to have a good defensive structure. Look, look at their crosstown rivals. LAFC go and, and purchase the most expensive goalkeeper in MLS history or trade for uh, the most expensive trade in, in MLS history and it's locked down their defense and they've been a completely different team. That's exactly what LA, LA galaxy need to do. They need two good center backs and a good goalkeeper and they will be flying. Um, so I, I think it's just a, it's just putting your resources into the wrong places for me. Yeah, no, but even when I look at their back four, Jonathan Bond's not like a horrendous goalkeeper. He's had links no. to you. He's, he's experienced. Um, Derek Williams has played played in Europe, played in the championship, and he's not he's not a complete dust player. He, he's kind of aggressive. He's not like 
the most technical, but he's been a player where like he's had a lot of love from the fans this season. Um, Kulabai, which I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but he's he's been he's a solid defender. So on paper, I'm not thinking, oh, they're terrible players. And then in front of them, Ravellison and Delgado, I really kind of like as players too. So I'm just kind of looking yeah. at it, scratching my head, thinking, what's happening here? Um, yeah, can't get to the bottom of it, but yeah, it's been a bad, bad run for the Galaxy. Um, who's did you have anyone picked out um for this week? Is that a bad week you were particularly disappointed with? <laughs> Doesn't take it's it's not hard to find a team that's had a bad week, right? You get pumped seven nil and then you've had a bad week no matter what happens the rest of the week. But then you go back home against a rotated Columbus team and can only get a draw. And then you get pumped again in Minnesota 2-0, and it probably should have been a lot worse than that. They were really not competitive at all. Um, I mean, obviously, Wayne Rooney coming in, I'm still split as to whether I like this decision or not. I think they'll at least try a a little bit, but I don't know if they're going to, I don't know what his identity is going to be like. He's going to switch back to the four, two, three, one. They traded away Julian Gressel because he doesn't fit the system now because we don't use wingbacks anymore. Um, yeah, no, really bad week for DC. They're going nowhere. The season's over. Um, and I, honestly, it's hard for me to even see how next year is going to be any good at this point. They're going to need some serious signings and they've been linked to a couple of guys. And I'm like, really? Like one of the guys they were linked to is coming from from England and he has like four goals and four assists in 40 games as a winger. And it's like, is this really what we're going to bring in at Derby County in the championship? Is this really what we want? Yeah, I, it's kind of interesting to think about what the impact of Wayne Rooney being there and if he'll be the same as like Wayne Rooney's a legend in England, one of England's best ever players of our generation, at least. So when he walk into the dressing room at Derby County, there'll be that adoration, that respect from the young players in the youth team, the players even in the team have grown up watching him. And that might get that extra reaction. You go into DC and they know who Wayne Rooney is, but does it have the same impact on the dressing room that he has? And obviously, technically, tactically, He's done a decent job in his career so far, but he's not an experienced veteran manager as you think, oh, he's going to reshuffle this organization. So when I'm thinking about what the best case scenario from his impact is, it might be in the transfer market where he can use a pool, his ties to the UK, some big clubs uh, to bring in some top quality players. I saw, I don't know how much this was just paper talk, but I saw Jesse Lingard linked with thing which would be huge he would yeah. be incredible we had him at West Ham and he's still a class player he's still in his prime just hasn't worked out for him for United but in the MLS would be an absolute joke in my opinion absolutely so maybe that's the route they think they're going down and I hope it's not kind of a thing from DC's organization standpoint where like everything's going to shit on the field let's bring in a big name do something bring Rooney in and distract kind of the fan base from what's really going on because it hasn't been good enough has it no, and, and it hasn't been good enough for a long, long time. And the last time it wasn't good enough, they brought Rooney in. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it got better. In, in fairness to him, it did get better. And him and Lucho Acosta hooked up. So maybe maybe we'll see him on the field hooking up with Taxi Funtas because that's really the only way this is going to get better for me. Um, yeah, Jesse Lingard would obviously be huge. I don't know how realistic that is. I don't think he's going to come here, but... If he if he does end up coming, that's a huge, huge, huge get. Um, yeah, 
I, again, it's tough without, without seeing multiple signings, like four or five really quality, good players. I just can't see how this gets any better. I, I can't see how DC even next year. I can't, they, I mean, Jackson Hopkins in fairness, Jackson Hopkins did look very good. So, you know, you got Funtas, you got Jackson Hopkins, maybe Moses Nyman gets back into the picture once, you know, I, he's not in the injury reports anymore. So I don't know where he is at this moment in time. Um, but they've got like a couple decent young players and apparently Rooney is going to try to play some of the young players. So maybe there'll be a little bit of hope, but it's just, there's it, a lot, a lot of work to do. Yeah. And in a, in, in a league like the MLS, you never feel that far away. And we'll get onto that in a minute with uh, Chicago and my pick for having a great week relative to their schedule. And you can feel cut adrift, but then it was kind of the difference we were talking about. Chicago, there was still something there. You figured if they just click a couple more things, they get the fitness of their key players, maybe they can do something. And then straight away, there's some hope. Whereas DC watching them, it just feels like in a league where parity is like a fundamental characteristic, they feel like a sort of step behind at a minute, which is obviously sad for you, Chris, but um, and the fan base and that. But maybe, yeah, maybe there is, maybe there's some hope. You never know. Things can change quickly. So, so as we transition from DC to Chicago, I want to bring up the poll that we did last week because we asked who is in the better situation. Like what, if you were a fan, what would you rather be? Uh, 67% said it was worse to get pumped seven nil than to be two nil up and, and blow it, but still have some, some lead or some uh, hope or some confidence. Um, and I think this week perfectly satisfies exactly what we were talking about, right? Chicago then, followed up with a two nothing win against Toronto. And then they go and, and beat Seattle, which is a really impressive result. Uh, although Seattle is starting to struggle now. So it may be interesting to talk about them here pretty soon. Um, but what are, obviously you picked Chicago to have a good week. What are, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the boys? Can they get back in the playoff race here? Well, that was it. I mean, the first half against Columbus, we talked about, there was so much promise. We were dominating a decent side playing well going into a really critical week for the season. These three games back to back to back is a real opportunity to get some quick fire momentum and make a turning point. And then the disappointment of sort of blowing it in the second half, um, some naive mistakes, some tactical decisions. We talked about that. So then coming in to midweek, Toronto at home, an absolute must win at this point. Um, and they did the job. Toronto were terrible. I'm really worried about them. I, yeah, they got big signings coming in, but they were horrendous. But there was some bright sparks. That's what we're saying. And from that performance, you probably see, I think he made the MLS team of the week, might have even got the player of the week, was John Duran, 18-year-old yeah. centre forward. And he just looks like an absolute physical specimen because his price has already gone kind of through the roof on so rare. And he's a defender think... card, which doesn't make any sense to me. No, 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 no. He's a he's a forward card. He's a forward Is card. He? Yeah, who am I got, thinking of? You're thinking of uh, Offor. Oh, that's right. That's right. Who potentially is the worst card on the platform because he's a forward <laughs> play with a defender card, but he's like the least technical forward. He's a decent, effective player, not knocking him, but he's like target man. So he's losing the ball, yeah. flicking into no one half the time. He's and he's average last forty is about an eight or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, but back to John Duran, like. Him and um, Brian Gutierrez, another young player who we've got coming through the ranks over there. And I've had a few questions this week about Brian Gutierrez. 
and what kind of player he is because he's been getting minutes progressively more. He had a really nice flick for the Duran goal in that game that made highlight reels all around Twitter and so what. And he's a player where my kind of response is like, he's got a really high ceiling. He's technically really good for his age. And technical ability is somewhat harder to teach than sort of some other aspects in the game. So he's got that, which yeah. already gives you a ceiling that potentially, but he's not there yet. He's still making poor decisions, which is huge in football. And it is to do with youth, but some people never improve that side of their game. He's still physically not quite there. I think he's, you know, a young body still. He doesn't look imposing and MLS can be quite a physical league. So he's not right. quite going to be a dominant player yet. He's not first name on the team sheet, but he's a player coming up. And then John Duran is almost the opposite. He's an absolute physical specimen, pace and power. For the goal, he broke away one of one with, crazy. with Mavinga, who's an experienced defender in the league. And he just stiff-armed him, just bullied him off it, slide it home. And you think almost from the other side, if he can bring along the technical side, his first touch, his finishing, he could be frightening good at 18 years old. So not only was it a good win, there was some hope for the fan base there. We see some young players with bags of potential making an impact. And then we go into a weekend game off the back of them two against the Seattle Sounders, who you, you kind of on paper just think this is going to be a tough, tough game whenever you play the Sounders. We'll get into them. They haven't really been living up to that the last few uh, weeks here. But yeah, going to that game and you think, well, we need a big performance here to maybe get a draw, get something from the game, get some momentum. And they get the job done. Rafa Chihos had one of the best individual performances of any player I've seen this season to keep the clean sheet. He got on the score sheet himself. He was monumental. Um, but again, they, they get the victory. They hold out. And there's some bright sparks for the fan base. Jairo Torres comes back in and he actually puts in a really nice performance off the bench. Look quality, look composed. And it looked like he's just getting up to fitness uh, in the league. So he just hasn't really been able to find that yet. So he still needs to do a lot more to justify his price tag. And he's thinking, but at least from a fan perspective, there's things happening. There's a bit of hope. There's some optimism around. And now we're sitting three points off the playoff line, which is it's, it's crazy. And like from sort of zooming out again from coming into the MLS as like a newish fan, like it just shows how exciting this league is because a couple results strung together, things are happening, you're back in the picture. So yeah, really optimistic end to what was a devastating start of the week. So um, yeah, a lot of credit to Chicago. And yeah, it's a uh, exciting time. Who was your uh, who's your pick for who's someone who had a, a really solid week this week who you just were impressed by? So you can tell that I I watched this uh this seven nil pumping of of DC, right? Because my good pick is Philadelphia. So they obviously start the week with a, a seven nil absolute thrashing of DC. And then they go down to Miami, which is a tough place to play. Miami's been pretty hot. They get the 2-1 win down there. And then they come back home against New England, who's also been white hot. Obviously, they New England lost to uh, NYCFC, um, but before that, we're unbeaten in ten in a row. They fall behind New England, which is a really tough thing to do with New England style. Still come back and still get the two-one win. Um, and I watched a little bit of that Philly New England game, and they were pretty. I, I didn't see New England's goal in, in all fairness, but they were Philadelphia looked like they were the better team for most of that game as well. 
Um, Philly's tough, man. Like, I, I don't think I want to be playing them come playoff time at all, especially when they're going to finish pretty high up in the standings. I think that right now they're in first. They got a four point gap, but they obviously New York has some games at hand. So um, we probably don't see Philly that far away uh, from New York uh, come the final standings, but they're going to finish probably one or two. Uh, in the East and um, maybe three, if the Red Bulls can catch them, but I can't see anybody else catching them, which means they're going to have at least one, probably two play out home playoff games. Super park is a tough place to play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good week for Philly. They obviously get nine points from three, um, three games, one of which was pretty easy with DC, but then at Miami and home against uh, revolution, two tougher games, they pick up the full full nine points this week. So I think they had a really good week. What do you think about Philly? Yeah, they're one of them teams that I look at and I'd be interested to find out what you think on sort of where they rank in this thing. Because although they're, we talk about them, everyone knows they're good, they're winning every week. They don't kind of stand out in the same realm of like the LAFC, even the New York City, where you, they're, you know, they got these star players scoring goals, transfer rumors, all this stuff going on. They're just quietly ticking away. So I guess, where would you rank them if you were to rank now, like going into the playoffs, like maybe with top four or five teams, where would you rank them in that sort of category? Because it's hard to say that many teams, if any, are even more impressive than them. Just the way they go about their business, they seem yeah. less acceptable to an injury to a certain individual player going to blow yeah. their seat. They just kind of... They're just kind of there and they're always going to be in a game, any game of football in this league. They're never going to be out of it. So where does that kind of just hypothetically, where do you rank them sort of in that top three or four uh, teams? But when you're, when you're looking at their roster, yes, they don't have a superstar, a world superstar, but they are built perfectly for the MLS. They have a gorgeous roster um, that has one of the best defensive midfielders in, in the league. They have one of the best back lines of the league. They have one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And then they have some decent attacking players that are creative. that can score goals and they put the same lineup out there every single week so that the guys always know what they're doing. And actually in the New York game or in the new England game, excuse me, they switched up their lineup a little bit and they went to a different formation. They normally play a four, four, two diamond, and they went to a 4-2-3-1, which is pretty similar, but it's it, they switched it a little bit. And um, New England went up 1-0. They went back to their 4-4-2 diamond, and they came roaring right back. And, and like I said, they were the better team even with the formations, formation change there. So, yeah, I mean, Philly, and they've got a bench too, right? They've got all these USU 20 guys that are sitting on the bench. Two of them got starts last night. Both of them looked pretty good. Jack McGlynn's left foot is just gorgeous those guys are absolutely going to play in europe so when you have that coming off the bench it's tough for you to ever be out of a game um now you asked me where they where they kind of rank in the league and let's just go so so there are two kind of things that i look for as as strong teams in the league um so one of them is losses right so if you if you lose a game um you know you may not always win you may not always collect all the points um, but losses are, are definitely a sign that a team is not as good as we think, right? Montreal has eight losses, even though they've won 10 games, they're, they're still got a bunch of losses. They got a bunch of issues. Um, so the top teams in the league, NYCFC have four losses. New York Red Bulls have five losses. Austin have four losses. LAFC have four losses. Philly has two losses this year. 
So yes, they're not picking up the full three points every single week, but they've only been beaten twice all year. Secondly, uh, uh, the second thing I look at is goal differential. So top teams in the league, New York City FC, 17 goal, di- goal differential, New York Red Bulls, nine goal differential, Austin, 18 goal differential, LAFC, 17 goal differential, Philly is at 18 goal differential. So tops in the league in goal differential tied for and uh, and first in the league as far as only two losses and they've played more games than pretty much everybody else. So they're not going away. That's for sure. Yeah, the thing the thing I like about uh, Philadelphia from a so rare perspective, but also I'm struggling with here is they don't rotate much. You kind of know what you're going to get, which is beautiful for so rare for managers. Yeah. That's what you want because that's an absolute headache. I'm sure people with these midweek games have been pulling their hair out with rotations and whatnot. But when I look at their squad, that's kind of what I was getting at is I don't know. There's not a player. But I'm like, I'd love to have that player outside of Blake. Obviously Blake's an elite goalkeeper. Um, but an outfield player, like from a so rare standpoint, is there, there's not someone I'm like, I'd love to have him. You know, there's players I'd take for sure. There's good players. Uh, Gazdag's really effective. Kyle Wagner, we know what he can do with his set pieces. Carranza has been doing good, but, do you know what I'm saying? Like they're almost perfect for so rare, but they almost in the same breath don't have their players that are absolute smashes on so rare. So I've been kind of debating that back and forth versus like a uh, New York City where they'll rotate a decent amount and you not quite know. But if you get the guys who are playing, they're banging out hundreds left, right and center. So it's kind of an interesting one well, to look at, Philly, yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? Philly, the defensive stack has got to be killing it this year. Because Philly have only given up 15 goals in 21 games. Like, that's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. The next closest team has given up 21 goals. They're six goals lower than anybody else. And you've got guys like Kai Wagner, who contribute a ton on the offensive end. You've got Glesnes, who contributes and, and takes rocket shots that are on frame every once in a while. Some of the time they go in. Um I, I think your question is almost phrased wrong. It's not who do you want off of Philly. It's who do you not want off of Philly? Pretty much any of their starters, you can start on a weekly basis and have some confidence that they're going to at least turn out a decent score. Now, you're right. They're not superstars, but I mean, 55, 60s on most weeks, I think are, are, is is pretty solid, you know? I guess to, to sort of highlight my point here is that when I'm looking at the last 15 averages of Philly, their top performers are Gazdag and Wagner on a 55, followed by Andre Blake and Glesnes. And like you said, they've kept a lot of clean sheets, which I think is really helping Glesnes score on a 53. You go to a team that we do want to talk about, and we will, is San Jose. They're obviously floating around the bottom of the conference. And... Yeah. Their last 15, they've got Nathan on a 62 and Jamiro Montero on a 58 and then a Bobasi on the 55, Grigas 54. So they've got players who are significantly better performing at least on so rare than Philadelphia. So it's just an interesting kind of quirk, I guess, to the game, matching up between the team and the league. I love the fact that they don't rotate. I love a sort of star player to go in at Philly and not rotate. And I think you could have one of the best players on the platform there. They just kind of have good characteristics, but without the individual pieces yet, that makes me want to buy up their stack. But I see what you're saying. You're not going to get the downside of some of these teams too. But, but look at who's their, who's their worst starter. 
Their worst starter is Carranza, who last 15 has played 87% of the games and is averaging a 49. Their second worst starter is probably Leon Flock, I guess, uh, who's played 100% of the games and is averaging a 47. You put any of their players in your lineup and you're averaging a 50 almost almost every week. And they're all... So the, the starters are last 40. Andre Blake's at 93%. Kai Wagner's at 95%. Glesnitz is 98%. Jack Elliott is 93%. Daniel Gazdag is 90%. Badoya is 93%. Jose Martinez is 88% because he gets suspended sometimes. Leon Flock is 100%. Ure is 78% because he had the visa issues at the beginning of the year. And then Julian Carranza is 85%. It's like, you're not going to find that on another team. You just won't. Period. Yeah. No, and I guess what we've kind of dialed in on here by accident is take Blake out of the equation, get a cheaper goalkeeper, and you've got the perfect team to pick threshold players. You just pick their non-star players who are cheap because they don't hit the peaks, and you're just going to grind the threshold every single week, easy days, miss DMP. So, yeah, we did a little uh, experiment on the fly there, but that's kind of what I'm saying. They're an interesting side. Problem is, none of their starters are below 0.1. Oh, Bedoya is 0.06 for a rare card. Yeah, but, but everybody like, else is 0.1 or more. Bedoya is, is halfway to the care home, ain't he? He's 35, which yeah. is that's crazy. I thought he was like 45, but that's yeah, you know, yeah. he's still producing, so good for him. Was, um, there, was there any games that you caught uh, yesterday or in the week that you uh, that stood out to you? Yeah. Uh, so we talked, we talked a little bit about Minnesota DC. Um, one team we didn't talk about and a team that we could have picked for having a pretty decent week. Austin goes on the road to Atlanta, picks up the three nil win. And then I watched the Austin Houston games, most of it. And even though Houston scored first, Austin pegged them back in three minutes. And then it, it was all Austin. It was all one way traffic. And the goals they score are like, incredible goals which is just weird to me how they continue to score week after week they score these goals that you just shouldn't score from angles you shouldn't score from and they keep just pumping in pumping in goals and part of me like my analytics part of me says that's going to regress back to the mean you're going to start missing some of those shots eventually and when you're relying on scoring two or three goals every game to win that's difficult to continue to produce But another part of me says this is a half a season now where they've been producing that and they're at the top of the standings, right? They are literally number one in the conference or not the Western conference in the whole league. um, As far as points go now, LAFC has two games in hand, so they'll likely catch them back. But at some point we have to stop. I don't want to say disrespecting Austin, but we have to show Austin a little bit more respect because they are putting together a world of a season and their away record is specifically fantastic. They have seven wins away from home. The next closest is Red Bulls, who has six, but nobody else has. There's one team, Nashville, that has five, but Nashville's played a ton of, of road games. So, yeah, I mean, I think Austin is another team that we've got to start looking at as, as potentially a, a cup contender. And and I think they they may even it's going to be them or LAFC for the for the supporter shield for sure. Yeah, I think with Austin, Austin are almost, to me, what the LA, LA Galaxy could or should be. Whereas you look at their back line, it's not 
phenomenal by any means. Stuver's a solid keeper. I really like Stuver. But they haven't got like elite defenders on paper, at least. Cascante is having a good season. But the rest of these guys have kind of been rotating. I kind of like Coleman, but he hasn't, he's been inconsistent. So you look at their back line and compare it to the Galaxy. Is it much better? Probably worse on paper. You know, you're dealing with Julian Araujo, uh, Raheem Edwards, who are great players in the league. And you get into the midfield, you've got Alex Ring, who's very experienced, a very good player, great leader. He kind of reminds me of like a Jordan Henderson when I went to watch them. He's not like an unbelievable in any aspect, but he's kind of all around. He's a leader. And, yeah. and they play in Perea usually. I don't think he played this that game, but he usually sits in there. And again, he's a solid player. But is he much better than Delgado and Ravellison? Not really. You wouldn't say significantly. And then you get into their front four. And obviously, I think the big difference is Sebastian Driussi, who is that level above. Maybe he yeah. is enough, enough better than who the Galaxy are. But if you thought of the Galaxy where they got some mix of sort of Chicharito, DJ, they got Costa, they got Efren Alvarez, they got um, Kevin Cabral, they got Grand Seer. That front line, you can't say Austin's on paper again, is much better. They got Fagundes, is brilliant, uh, Ruti, great, and they mix them out. But they're just something, whether it's in the coaching, whether the atmosphere, whatever it is in the dressing room, something's clicking there where they're turning a sort of profile that I look at similar to the Galaxy, and they're sort of getting the most out of it, whereas you can compare that to the Galaxy, which sort of a similar style of sort of team and setup where they're just not. And yeah, credit to the credit to the coaching, credit to the players in the dressing room, the leaders in that dressing room, whatever it is that's making a difference, where they've just been had a phenomenal season. And uh, yeah, they're really, really dangerous going into the playoffs. And they are a team where there are a bunch of players on that team who I'd like to pick up um, on so rare, Driussi being one, but I haven't, I haven't got around to it still, maybe in the off season. I mean, I think anybody would take Sebastian Driussi on their team. Um, but the real breakout and the real one that's making a big difference is Diego Fagundes for me. Um, he's had an absolutely special season and he's been good. Like he's been a good solid starter in this league for a long time in New England, but nothing like this. I mean, this is absolutely next level. And we're talking about kind of the difference between Austin and the LA Galaxy. And we talked about how LA at the beginning of the year was kind of shutting people down and playing great defense. And now they've been kind of shipping goals. Austin has not been, Austin never really shut people down, but they also haven't shipped goals like, like LA has, right? They, they don't really concede two or three in a, in a week, multiple times. So like the total goal numbers is Austin has 24 goals allowed. LA has 27. So it's not that far off. But L.A. at the beginning of the season were putting up a lot of zeros, and now they're putting up twos and threes, which is – it's just less consistent, which is, I think, my point here is that Austin have just been super, super, super consistent, and they've been really good at scoring goals, which is kind of weird. Austin have 42 goals scored. LAFC have 38. Uh, the next closest th team, I think, is Montreal. Oh, no, no. New York City has 38 as well. But then Montreal has 34. So they've scored like eight goals more than the fourth place team in the MLS as far as goals scored. And like I said before, they're all like wonder goals. It's crazy how consistently they're putting in goals that you shouldn't put in. So 
yeah, I mean, I, I still think there's a part of me that wouldn't be shocked if they start to regress towards the end of the year because some of these goals just don't start falling. But, I mean, at this point, they're going to be in the playoffs. Like, 41 points is almost enough to make the playoffs just if they don't get a point the rest of the season. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one, and I think we definitely have to start, start talking a little bit more about Austin. Yeah, and on the other side where we've got Austin, who are kind of a team that have some pieces, but we didn't think they'd be this good, and it's starting to look like they're the real deal going into the playoffs. A team that I watched in the Seattle Sounders, who we all expect to be great. We expect that they were just heating up. It was almost, even if they had bad results at the start of the season, we were kind of like, well, that's kind of by design, you know, that's what they do. But are you? is there any concern on your end now that, where they're heading because they went away to Chicago and I watched that game and they had spells in the game. They've clearly got some talent in the team, but they didn't make Chicago too uncomfortable. Chicago went one nil up pretty early in that game. And for a team that are definitely not world beaters in Chicago, they kind of saw the game out with somewhat level of comfort, which I wouldn't expect against the Titan, like the Seattle Sounders. And then yeah, they're, they're sitting there. They're kind of not, they're definitely not guaranteed a playoff spot. No, almost no one is now. Behind them, they've got some good sides. They're just outside the playoff line, but then you've got Portland right on their shoulder side with them. Vancouver, we know, can put a run together. Colorado are no, no mugs by anyone's standard. So are you starting to have some question marks over the Sounders, as kind of ridiculous as that sounds? No, not even a little bit. Uh, Seattle has way too much talent. They're way too well coached and they've done this specific thing where they start the season off very poorly. And then they put a run together at the end uh, way too many times. They'll be in the playoffs for sure. And they are going to be one of the toughest outs in the playoffs. If anyone beats them, it's going to take quite an effort in order to beat them. Uh, this is not a team that I want to mess around with. And everybody goes through runs where they're just, they just don't have it for whatever reason, but this team is going to, they're, they're going to get focused again. They're still only, they're one point behind the playoff line. Um, LA is in the playoffs right now. I don't think they can, uh, at this point in time, I don't think the LA galaxy make the playoffs. RSL is in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to start to drop off. So yeah, I think Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, Colorado, there, there's kind of, four teams kind of fighting for two, in my mind, two spots in the playoffs between RSL and LA galaxy that are going to drop out. So, and even we could see Dallas drop out too. Dallas is very, very young. So the thing with young teams is they can be wildly inconsistent and that doesn't tend to lead to a ton of points in the standing. So they're only obviously two points ahead. So if Dallas has a good rest of the season, they could end up as the, th just the three seed or even the four seed. Whereas if they don't have a good second half, then they could, drop completely out of the playoff picture so yeah no i have zero questions about seattle they've been here done this they're a veteran team they'll be back yeah i mean i'm just looking at their you what you mentioned about philly almost on the other end they've had 10 yeah. losses this season they've lost half their games in the mls which might not matter in terms of them getting into the playoffs we know the strength of their squad but is there a psychological impact once you're in the playoffs that you know you can lose a game of football. You see these runs in these top teams, almost they go out believing like it's important. They can't lose a game. They don't know what it's like to lose a game. And that turns into 
Um, that translates onto the field. But will these losses have like a psychological impact in that sense where, you know, you, if you've played as well, if you've been on a run, you know you can throw a game where you've been there where you needed to get back in the game and you didn't and you took home the loss. wonder if that creeps up in the mind and that does have an impact once they do get into the playoffs, like you said, which you still think they do. For a normal team, yes, I would be worried about 10 losses. For the Seattle Sounders, I'm not worried in the slightest. Like I said, they're very veteran. They've all been here. They've all done this before. And a lot of those losses were in the beginning of the season when they were heavily rotating, trying to win Champions League. So I'm not super, super concerned. Now, obviously, they've lost three of the last four. So it's not like all of the losses have been in the beginning of the season. But I don't think it's fair to expect a team to just okay, Champions League's over. We're going to win every game the rest of the year. Everybody's going to go through form. Everybody's going to have these runs. Seattle is not one of the teams that I'm concerned about as far as not getting back on that horse. They, they'll they be back, and and they'll have uh, they'll have something to say about the Western Conference. The, the le- I think it's six or seven years in a row, either Seattle or Portland has won the Western Conference and been in the MLS Cup Final. Both of those two teams are currently out of the playoffs. I don't think that's going to hold, though. Yeah. Talking about a Western conference, you made a promise to one of the listeners that if San Jose made it off the bottom of the conference, you would do a little analysis of them, a little talk about them. They got a win over the Galaxy, which is a big win, um, not just for the standings, but also for the fans. It's a sort of classic rivalry over here in California. They went up to Toronto before that and uh, got a last-minute equaliser, which was nice for them. What do you... What are your thoughts on San Jose now? They do have a couple games in hand um, when I'm looking at the standings now. So do you think, what do you think their season's looking at? They've got some definite talent up there uh, from my point of view. So what what do you think in San Jose? Yeah, so shout out to Mike H at Sportsblog Mike, who has uh, been asking us to talk about San Jose for quite a while now. And I promised if they got off the bottom of the conference that we would talk about them beating the LA Galaxy gets them off the bottom of the conference. So shout out to him. We're, we're going to talk about San Jose. Now, San Jose's roster is pretty good. You know, they're and they've always been pretty good. They've never had a lack of talent. They've always had pretty decent players. It's always been uh, Matias Almeida's system has always just been very odd. And they can win games that they shouldn't. And they can blow leads all the time like no game is safe almost San Jose is a team that scores quite a bit and they're a team that also concedes quite a bit and that doesn't it doesn't tend to lead to great results in a league format where you're trying to get consistent results every time you want to be the more defensive team however if they can sneak into the playoffs which I think is a long shot but if they can sneak into the playoffs that kind of style if they get hot and they start scoring three goals a game they can make a run like that's the type of team that can make a run in the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I, it's an interesting one in San Jose here because we could have said them as well for having a, a really great week, obviously a little more than a week now. But for the entire month of July, they've beaten Chicago to one. They've drawn with Toronto away to two and then away at L.A. Galaxy. They got a three to win. So two away games and they and they end up with seven points in, in July so far. And then they've got Houston coming into PayPal Park um, today. Actually, we don't know how that's how that's going to go, uh, but they've got a pretty decent chance at that game, I think. So, 
yeah, I mean, San Jose could be kind of rocketing up the standings a little bit. They're only five points back at the playoff line. The problem is there's a lot of teams that are behind the playoff line that I think are pretty good. Um, as far as their actual players, trading for Jamiro Montero was an absolute masterstroke. And it's crazy to me that you lose a player as good as Jamiro Montero is for Philadelphia and you, you get better. It's so weird. They did it a couple of years ago with Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. And now this year they've done it again with Jamiro Montero. And I just, I, I don't understand how, how Jim Curtin continues to do that. But I mean, Jamiro Montero has taken his chances very, very well in San Jose. He's a top, top class player. They've obviously got Kate Cowell coming along. Nathan is not a guy that I've watched a whole lot, but he puts up some serious scores on so rare. So he's doing something. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, San Jose is a team that's always had talent and they haven't really been able to figure things out. And they're in a tough Western conference, but uh, I mean, it's not, it's not unheard of that they could make a run at this thing. What, what are your thoughts on San Jose? You're obviously a little bit closer to them. Yeah, and I've watched a couple of their games lately. And like you said, like if you look at their front four on paper, like Espinosa is kind of, he's on set pieces, he's a bit of a talisman. I'm surprised he doesn't score better on Soria. Not quite yeah. sure what that is. Um, Montero, you just spoke about. Ebobasi is really flourishing this season. And then they had Cade Cowell was starting out there, and we know what he can do. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of dynamism, and he's a player you don't want to play against. But another player who's come into the team recently, and he, I turned my spotlight on him because he... Um, put Chicago to bed with two goals against us is this young guy Benji Kakanovic. I'm not even sure if he has a card I'm sure he does I'm sorry I haven't even looked at it yet but yeah. watching him play like I think he's in his I think he's under 23 he's came into the team and he's really really good coming into that team and I think he's got a start in the last few games maybe ahead of Cal I don't know whether Cal's back yet but he's made an impact he's got I'm just looking up now he's got two goals and two assists in his last three starts for them and that's kind of what you need if you are going to put a run together you need like one player to kind of burst onto the scene just kick on and add something to what you've already got for a team like San Jose where they've already got some pieces they've got some dangerous players they've got some experience in there as well in the in the midfield so sort of on paper I kind of like like what they have they just haven't been getting the results. They've been leaking some. I'm not sure whether that's tactical or what. But if there was a team where a real underdog team, real against the odds, where you think this team could just kind of go off for a few, a stretch of games for a month or two, I don't put it past them. So, yeah, I echo what you're saying. And it's almost the difference I'm saying with, with the DC and almost a bit different to Philadelphia, where like even if you're a fan of San Jose and they're not winning every week, you're happy to watch their games. There's always going to be goals. There's going to be, there's players that can stand out, produce moments of magic quality. So they're a team I like to watch and I'm kind of under the radar rooting for them to do something for them reasons. So I like watching them yeah. and I like seeing them ruffle some feathers of sort of bigger institutions in the MLS. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always liked that about Hernan Lozada was even if we didn't win, it was like a three, three game. And I was still like, I enjoyed it as a person, you know, whereas now it's just like, yeah, these, these are just not fun. Talking about Kikanovic, he broke out late last year. He got into the team a little bit and just started banging in goals. He had three goals and an assist in what eight games, maybe nine games, something like that, seven games. So 
he broke out late last year and a lot of people thought, well, he's going to starting this year. Well, he's going to just go on and, and, and do the business. Um, he's clearly got a ton of talent, but there's just a ton of pieces. There's a ton of attacking pieces there in San Jose. Um, he did get a little bit of a chance here with Cade Cowell gone for the USU 20 thing. And he full credit. He is, seems like he's taken it two goals against the fire an assist against Toronto an assist and uh what is that a penalty one against the against the galaxy in, in this midweek game so yeah i mean kikanovic is another one who I, I would kind of view more as a bench player but he i mean even if he rotates in there and starts at times that's still good to have that depth coming off the bench so yeah i totally forgot about abobasi too abobasi has been fantastic this year he's obviously had his injury issues in the past with his concussions but when he's healthy, he's U.S. national team caliber player. Um, they've also got Jackson Yule, who's been in and out of the U.S. national team in, in the midfield. So, I mean, we've never questioned their talent. We've just questioned the fact that they ship goals as much as they do. Um, and they're still shipping goals, to be fair. They gave up two to the L.A. Galaxy. They gave up two to Toronto. They gave up one to Chicago. So... I'm still not sold that they are going to make a run. You're, you're right, though. I'm 100% rooting for it. Like, I'd love to see San Jose put some put some results together. I just don't know if they have the style to do so. Yeah, definitely. And, like, yeah, this stage of the seasons is still wide open. I really can – you can really only count out a few teams from – that kind of hope and from a fan standpoint like we said it's the hope that you need you know and like that's kind of what you don't have there in dc at the minute i think we can kind of count dc out of the playoff picture toronto i mean i know they're bringing in a ton of talent but they're they're pretty cut adrift too you know it's not they are it's i don't even do you think even with insigne comes in and he's flying fit straight away which isn't a guarantee bernadeschi the same do you think they bring in a good centre back? Do you think they can get there, or do you think there's just too much too much room now? Because yeah, they'll be good, they'll be winning games, but these teams above them all have some things going for them, some potential too, you know. So I don't know if they can make that much ground up with what's left. What what do you think about Toronto? Yeah, let's talk about the Eastern playoff picture here because I think there's three teams that are in the playoffs for sure. And I think there's one team that's out of the playoff for sure. And everybody else is still wide open up in the air. Toronto's getting to that point, though, where it's like they got to start putting together some results, kind of similar to Chicago, right? A couple of weeks ago, they got to start putting together some results and get back into it because right now they're, they are seven points back at the playoff line and they've played 21 games, which is more than most of the teams who are above them. So, yeah, that's tough. What do they have? 13 games left, 34 games in the regular season, I think. That's a lot of ground to make up in 13 games, even if you've got Insigne and Bernadeschi, which obviously they're going to have a ridiculous front three. There's no doubt about that. They're going to score goals, I think. They're going to have great players like Io Akinola coming off the bench, which is another big part of doing well in the second half of an MLS season. But yeah, you 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 said it. Are they going to sign a center back? Are they going to sign a goalkeeper? We've been hearing for it seems like three transfer windows now that oh yeah, we we need a goalkeeper. We need a goalkeeper. We need a goalkeeper. Still no goalkeepers. Still Bono and Westberg. It's still 
they've shipped off Salcedo for, for personal reasons. Um, and, and it just didn't seem to be working out in Toronto, which is fair enough, but who do they bring in? Right. I don't think 34 year old Domenico Crescito is going to completely hold down an entire back line by himself. I just don't, I don't think he has the wheels. He's got obviously leadership ability and organization ability, which is nice, but you need some other pieces around it. You'd mentioned Chris Mavinga a little earlier on the show and how he kind of got pumped for a goal. And he kind of came out and said, I've got some, some personal issues that I'm working through. Um, so, you know, fair play to him. Hopefully he can work through those things. And cause he was really, really good a couple of years ago. If he gets back to being that Chris Mavinga, maybe Toronto has a chance. So I'm not going to completely count out Toronto just yet, but it's a serious uphill climb at this point. Yeah, and it's not like it's guaranteed that Insigne and Bernadeschi can come into this league and make an immediate impact. We don't actually see that very right. often. You, we've place we've seen it is in one of their rivals for them spot now is Columbus with Cujo yeah. Hernandez, and it's in any sort of football to come in and have that impact. I don't think he's even started a game yet, and he's banged in three goals in about forty minutes of playtime and quality, <laughs> quality goals too. So that's like the dream best case upside scenario for Toronto is that Insigne and Bernadeschi come in and just start really, really making an impact. But how likely that is, so maybe you give it a three, four, five game buffer till they're up and running. If they drop points in them games, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see them getting there. I think maybe next year is where they're going to be looking to really attack. But it, it feels a bit like they've... Yeah, they've, they've not done their business quick enough, or I don't know what it is, but it seems like a bit of a disaster to make all these moves, all this investment, and kind of be out of the playoff picture <laughs> or pretty much out of the playoff picture with, you know, a third of the season remaining. It seems like a bit of a disaster to me, but... Um, and, they've, and they've got all these young kids that have so much promise that they're not playing because they're trying to sign all these pieces and be good now. And it's like, if you were going to do this, if you're going to have 19 points after 21 games, just, just play the kids for the first half of the season Insigne and Bernadeschi and the whole crew get in at that point. And then you've got an actual real team that they can go on and do things. But I mean, we've talked about Toronto ad nauseum. We have, I mean, they have so much talent. They could absolutely put things together. It's just a question of will they at this point. Um, you mentioned Columbus and how Chucho Hernandez has been phenomenal for them. And Columbus is a team that I think is really dangerous going into the playoffs. I think, I think they're pretty likely to make it. Um, and the one thing that they were missing was Miguel Berry or Giassi's artist at the beginning of the year, a striker, because both of those guys have been God awful all year long. And now Chucho comes in and absolutely lights the league on fire and gets them four points out of absolutely nothing. So Columbus is a team that I'm looking for. They're also getting healthy now, um, but they always have the talent. And uh, and they seem to, Caleb Porter, for whatever reason, he's good every other year. I don't know why it is, but he's good every other year. And they won the cup in 2020. So 2022 is is a Columbus year, as, as we like to call it, or a Caleb Porter year. Um, what about Miami? Because I, I got a good look at Miami last night against Charlotte. They were completely dominant for the entire game, but Jordi Reyna just pulled three magical shots out of nowhere, and two of them went in, and one of them was a magical save by Drake Callender. 
They've now got their goalkeeper with Jake Callender. They've now got some resemblance of a back line. They've got some decent midfielders. They've got Leo Campagna, who's starting to fire up top. And now they bring in Alejandro Pasuelo to the number 10 role, who seems like he could flourish there. Is this a team that could make a serious run at the MLS Cup? Well, we spoke to Alex Windley um, on this show, and she's the reporter down in uh, Miami. And she said the one piece, when I asked her, the one piece, the one player profile that she would bring in if she had the budget and the liberty would be a creative midfielder type, if you remember. And Alejandro Pozuelo is that. So she must be over the moon, and she's going to know better than we do about why they need that. But it seems like such a great fit, such a great bit of business. And they are getting results. And there was sort of... Even Gonzalo Higuain, which was like the, he was sort of epitomizing the problems of the club. You can't put it all on him, but just everything that he represented seemed to be the brunt of what the fans were feeling, what was going on down there, where it wasn't quite right. The effort, the energy, the sort of the vibe was off. And even he's come back into this team and made an impact. He's got, I think, a couple goals in the last couple of games, which have been important. And yeah, like you said, they had Pozuelo, that Campania has been brilliant up there. And then if they can bring someone with undoubtable quality like Higuain on to win them a game, to make an impact, um, yeah, they're starting to look dangerous too. And it feels like we're just copy and pasting, saying the same about a lot of these mid-level teams where there's things to be hopeful for. And almost if you had the home team bias, the fan bias, and you're a fan of any one of these teams, you start thinking... Well, yeah, actually, like if this happens, I like this, I like this going on, I like that. And there's hope down in Miami. They're sat just outside the playoffs. It's obviously a very competitive, condensed thing. So everything to play for for Miami, for sure. And it feels like there should be a lot of optimism uh, around the place. So, yeah, do you have anything to build off of that? So just quickly on Miami, because I want to get to some of the other teams in the East as well, and we're running a little short on time. Pozuelo on this team is perfect. And I think he's going to be absolutely perfect. You could not pick a better player out of the entirety of world football that has MLS experience that has been an MLS MVP. His girlfriend lives in Miami. Apparently that's the only place that he wanted to go. And he's been traded there. I think he's going to just kick on and start absolutely destroying people and being the alley Pozuelo from 2020 that carried Toronto and I think, I think Miami is a very, very under the radar, very serious team here. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit here because we're talking about uh, this team has hope, this team has hope. Then there's a couple of other teams that I think are below the playoff line that have some hope. Let's talk about some teams that don't have hope. Let's talk about some teams that are overperforming. Let's talk about, let's get a little negative here. Who's a team in the Eastern Conference you think in the playoffs that's not going to be there at the end? I'd say that are. I, I don't have the confidence to say they're not going to be there, but are at most risk and most vulnerable. Even, yeah, I mean, I look at Orlando and I'm kind of surprised where they're at because I've seen them have some terrible performances this year. And, but they're, they're sat in there at fifth and sort of in, in my mind's eye, I'm not thinking them far superior than a lot of these teams that I've talked about. Obviously they have talent. They have some really brilliant players down there. And they seem to have been getting some results. But they're a team that I could see 
if they lose a player or two or things just stop clicking up there, that they could find themselves in a slide because I've seen it in individual games this year where they haven't quite, they've, they've, you know, they've just been had an off day, had an off moment, and they've definitely got that in the locker. Cincinnati are also a team that I, I really like watching and I really kind of are rooting for too. But we know with them too that one injury, the cost are out, they lose that creativity, maybe they get an injury to Vasquez and they stop scoring goals and they definitely ship some goals in Cincinnati. So if if something happens in the creative front, I can see them, yeah, starting to look below them with a bit of a trepidation. Charlotte, I think if I'm a fan of Charlotte, I'm happy to see them at this point of the season anywhere close to the playoff line. And they've had a lot of changes. It's obviously a brand new franchise, but I think they'll struggle to stay in the playoffs, if I'm honest. I know your co-host Tripping won't want to hear that. And again, they're a team that I am rooting for. Um, but if I compare Charlotte to some of them teams we just talked about below them and the firepower that Columbus have in a Miami bringing in goals and creativity, Atlanta are still just sitting there, just not doing it. A team that I'm not rooting for just because I don't like what I've seen from them. But... If they put it together, I can see them doing the opposite of what we're talking about. They, they've almost been as bad as they could be. And I feel like they could just put it together and go on a run. So there's these teams threatening below. Like if I'm sitting in Orlando since your Charlotte spot, I'm getting a little bit worried because I can see in all them teams a run of bad games, to be honest. And then there's Montreal, who you're thinking, are they safe? I'm not sure what's the status with Mihailovic if he's back. He's obviously a massive factor back, yeah. in how good they are. Um, but if he comes back and he's firing on all cylinders, I'd be pretty confident that they can hang on, even though they haven't been as convincing as earlier in the season. But yeah, it's all to play for, and that's that's a bit of it. And now I'm talking through that. I'm looking at Chicago and my optimism from this week it's kind of getting tapered a bit because you think these teams above you and then these other, there's no bad sides really. There's no terrible sides there and there's no easy games, which is what you want uh, as a fan. But yeah, what are your thoughts? So you talked about Orlando and you talked about Atlanta. They play today. We don't know how this is going to go. We're recording before any of the games on Sunday. That's a massive, massive game. If Orlando wins, they're nine points clear of Atlanta. If uh, if Atlanta wins, Atlanta would go to three points back of Orlando, and it just would tighten everything up in the Eastern Conference even more than it is. Um, you talk, so I want to kind of compare and contrast Cincy and Montreal, right? You talked about both teams kind of being an injury away from really struggling. Montreal obviously got that injury with Georgie Mihailovic. He's not quite back yet. He's apparently pretty close to being back. Um, Cincinnati, we talked about Lucho Acosta being the prime prime creator. They had a 2-2 draw with Vancouver, which you wouldn't really think is a great result with him suspended. They play Columbus later today, which is another massive, massive game. And then um, they'll play one more game, which I think is Nashville without Lucho Acosta. If Acosta gets hurt, I think Cincinnati is in trouble. If they can keep all three of those guys healthy, Brenner, Vasquez, and Acosta, if they can keep all of them healthy the entire season, I think Cincinnati is one of the safer teams to make it in. Um, Montreal was 1,000% being carried by Georgie Mihailovic, and now that he's gotten an injury, 
Will he come back and be the same player? I don't know. I'm still not sold on Montreal as a team. So they're sitting fourth right now. They have the biggest cushion of any of these teams that we're talking about. Um, right now, this second, I don't think I would put them in my playoffs. Orlando is a really interesting one. You said they've had some shocking results. Uh, 5-3 against DC United at home is a pretty shocking result. Um, so, yeah, they can have their their off day for sure, but they also have had some some really nice days. They got a point against Austin on the road. Um, yeah, they went to Columbus and won, which was a, a pretty decent result. They beat LA Galaxy on the road when LA Galaxy was really good. So, I mean – yeah, I, I Orlando has more talent than I think a lot of these other teams do, but I'm still not 100% sold on them. Charlotte, I don't think will be in it. I think Charlotte drops out. Their home form is absurd. They have seven home wins this year, and there's just no way that they can keep that up. And even the result last night with Miami coming back to beat Charlotte, if Charlotte had hold, held on to that game, then you could – start to maybe talk about Charlotte being able to hold on to a place because then they'd be what seven points clear of Miami. But as it stands right now, they're, they're level with Columbus. They're only one point ahead of Miami and new England. New England's a team as well that we haven't talked about who is, who was white hot before two games ago. And then they ran into the two of the top three teams in the Eastern conference and, and got beaten both games. But still, when you look at new England, they have, put together the profile of what they had last year when they were really, really good. They've got Barrero who went off with an injury last night. So we got to watch that. But Barrero is kind of filling that Buchanan role that they were sorely missing at the beginning of the year. They've got Frioni coming in to be the new Buxa and they've got um, Petrovic who's the new Matt Turner. Otherwise the, the whole team is pretty much the same. I don't think there's a huge drop off in talent from any of those three substitutions, if you will. Um, and New England was white hot. They've got some really interesting games here coming up. They go to Columbus, and then they host Toronto, which should be a win. Then they go to Orlando, and then they host D.C., which should be a win. And then to Toronto, to Montreal, they host the Galaxy, host the Fire, and then they host NYCFC at New York Red Bulls, away to Houston, host Montreal, host Atlanta, and then at Chicago. So they've got most of their games remaining against the bottom half of this league. So I think new England is going to make a run here and, and get in. So it's very, very tight. There's a lot of things that could happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's about, yeah. like you said, it's a similar story. Montreal, the injuries, they need Mihailovic back. Orlando, um, a really sort of underrated under the radar. If you're not following it too much on their actual on-field performances, uh, Antonio Carlos coming back. That's I think, huge. I think he'll really stabilize them. And if yeah. he can stay fit, I think he will have a massive impact on their results. So, again, it's kind of the same thing. Since we spoke about the attacking threats, if they lose some of that creativity, they kind of lose what they are. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. It's on all on a knife edge. Almost every game between them top, them sort of eight or nine teams that we're looking at with still a chance of the playoffs feels like a cup final at this point, which is which is great for the fans. And, yeah, I'm genuinely excited to see how it plays out. If you were to pick out a playoff top seven now for the East, maybe we'll do the West next week, but for the East, gun to your head, well, where, who would be making it, who wouldn't? Where would you, where would you put your money on? Um, we'll take Philly at one. We'll take 
NYCFC two and Red Bulls at three. So we'll keep the top three exactly the same. C four is where it gets really difficult. What, um, just, I would just take four through eight, four through seven. Like, which four teams do you think are going to make it from? from so that? I think Cincinnati, New England, Columbus, Miami. Yeah, Although, I, mean, I mean that's tough. It's really tough because I don't want to leave out Orlando. But yeah, I th- I think as it stands right this second, if I have to pick who's going to inv- eventually make it, I think those are the four teams. What about you? I'm going Columbus. I'm going Orlando. I'm going. I'm trying to think of a differential just to be different, but I'm looking down. Atlanta is intriguing, but I just I just don't like what I've been seeing, and they've got a tough run of fixtures. Well, you I'm already took putting, Orlando. That's different. Yeah, I'm not putting I'm not putting Miami in. I just Ooh. I, I don't not, know. Not sold yet, huh? I'm putting New England in. So we got so Orlando, Columbus, New England. You got one more. I think I want to root for Cincy because I like watching him. I don't want to root for Cincy. So I think that's it. I think Montreal are so dependent on Mihailovic coming back firing. Yeah. They seem to be going in kind of the wrong direction. They've had a few terrible results of late. Orlando, like I said, they've not they've got a terrible performance in there, but there's some things that I like with uh, specifically Carlos coming back into the team. And it's I think a tough they, schedule though. Yeah, yeah. So it's so hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's but tough. Yeah, that's it. It's really that's tough. It. So so I think we should we should require everyone to at least watch one. Miami home game with Ray Hudson calling Alejandro Pozuelo because Ray Hudson, because Ray Hudson's the guy that called Lionel Messi, right? But him calling Pozuelo and his like unique style. And if you've never heard Ray Hudson before, you just need to go and, and look up on YouTube some Ray Hudson like calls of Lionel Messi. Um, but yeah, I am so excited to watch Miami games with Pozuelo just doing absolutely stupid things to defenders and Ray Hudson just going nuts. I can't wait to watch that. Um, but yeah, it's really tough in the Eastern Conference for sure right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've got to look forward to it. Plenty of games coming up. i got to get down to LA in, in some point. So is there anything else before we uh, sort of wrap it up here? Yeah. So if you have not seen on Twitter or did not know, we have a brand new website, which is really, really cool. And some of the cool features uh, that that I'm just going to go over some of the things that you could do. So the one that I think I'm most excited about is people can leave us voice memos and then we can end up playing them on the show. So like if you want to talk about like who you would put into your Eastern Conference playoff spot, you can throw it into a into a voice memo directly on the website and then we can just play it on the show if you have a specific question you can ask on on the voice memo and then we can we can kind of get you a little more interconnected with the show itself um, but there's some really other some some cool things that that are going to go on in the show um, so it's organized by soccer and baseball in separate spots so if you only want to see soccer you can go on and just look at season 1 baseball will be uh, under season 2 um, so it, it's kind of separated there we have different show art now for the baseball and the soccer side of things which is which is pretty nice to help you kind of differentiate things um you can also rate on the on the show on the website itself um so you can give us a rating that'll go to apple and it'll go to spotify and all that fun stuff which is really really helpful for the show um and then also we're gonna get um we have like a form that guests are gonna fill out 
and it'll kind of give us some of their like social links. It'll give us a little bio about them. It'll give us um, some, some different things. And we'll have like a little guest profile section that you can go. And if you're wondering, like if you've never heard someone before and, and you think they have an interesting point, you can reach out to them or you can kind of see what they're all about and where they're coming from. So some really, really cool things on the website. Definitely go and check that out. The links are all in the Twitter and they'll be in the description of the podcast here today. Um, but it's podpage.com slash so rare hyphen in hyphen the hyphen states. Um, but that is all that I have for this week. All right, brilliant. Well, we'll uh we'll go goodbye watch these games, some big big ones on the card. So should be a good uh, good Sunday for us. For sure. Well, we'll see you next week, Nashi. Have a good one. All right, mate. See you later.